Okay, guys, we are back for another Carry On episode, and today I am joined by Betsy McDonald. Betsy is a fourth year majoring in media studies and the president of If You're Reading This, and that's a big part of why she's on today to talk about If You're Reading This. Um, she's also a U Guide and currently working on an oral history project called Reflections Oral History. So, Betsy, welcome. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited. I'm so excited to have you on. Um, so for people who are listening and are unaware, can you just explain a little bit of what the mission of If You're Reading This is? Yeah, so If You're Reading This is a mental health organization that seeks to reduce the stigma around talking about mental health and mental illness specifically by sharing weekly letters from UVA students, faculty as well. Mm -hmm. um, there's this belief that people at UVA are putting on sort of this front um, only showing the most accomplished sides of themselves, which I think is something that we experience all the time. But at a school like UVA, where everyone is so goal-oriented and high-achieving, I think it's even harder. Um, and so the idea here is to really create a network where you could be sitting in class with someone, recognize them from the website, and be like, oh, that person's gone through something similar to what I've gone through. So to really create a community where you feel like you can see your struggles, the things that you've gone through represented, and also just know that you're not alone. Um, and I think it's also a great way to, again, give advice to people, um, reflect on your own personal experiences as well. Mm -hmm. So that was sort of a long-winded answer. I think there's so many parts to it. Yeah, no, definitely. Thank you for that explanation. And something that I didn't realize until I was looking at that if you're reading this page was that there's like an option to contact the authors if the authors um, permit that. And I think that's really cool if you resonate with someone's story to just like be able to send them a message. And I feel like that benefits both people and like knowing that you have someone in your corner and someone you can relate to. And also, I feel like something that I didn't know until I looked at the website was that there's an option to like contact I think it's like a peer, a peer that you can contact. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really awesome too that, you know, if you're reading this isn't only putting out stories from people, which is amazing, but you're also, you know, connecting people at UVA and creating like a network of resources that students in need can use. Yeah, our author contact feature, I think is so meaningful. One of my closest friends actually, we posted her letter very recently and she got a ton of messages through the author contact feature wow. of people who were like, hey, this story really resonated with me. Her story was about losing her mother and grief. Mm. And a lot of people who'd lost someone close to them reached out and were like, hey, this described exactly what I was feeling. Thank you so much for writing it. So I think it was really a reminder of how powerful that feature is, right? Mm -hmm. It's such a big step to share your story mm -hmm. um, and then to be able to feel like people in the community are receptive to it, to know that it's not just your friends reading it, but other people mm -hmm. who it's having such a huge impact on as well. Mm -hmm. And our peer contact program, I really think, seeks to acknowledge the fact that we know that mental health resources at UVA are not as robust as we need them to be. Mm -hmm. There's far more students that need resources like CAPS than mm -hmm. can actually get into them. Things like the Women's Center, I know, have wait lists mm -hmm. that are extremely long. And so our peer contact program really wants to be sort of that in-between, someone you can talk to for free, making sure that it's an accessible resource um, before in that in-between time while you wait to get put in touch with a professional counselor. Mm -hmm. We in no way think that it's like a professional resource at all, but want to really make sure 
that people feel like they have someone that they can turn to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. When you're going through mental health issues, I think it's so important that you have someone who you can connect with and someone that has gone through something similar as you because I was, was it, is it Julia's article that you were talking about? Yeah. Okay. I had ASL with Julia my first year. She won't remember me, but when I read that article, it was so powerful or that letter and I lost my aunt my senior year of high school and it was crazy. Like the stuff that she was talking about, like I resonated with so deeply, like even now four years later, I don't even, and it would have been so nice to have someone when I was struggling with grief who like understood what I was feeling and even I feel like if I was a first year at UVA I still was really struggling with grief and if I had seen a letter like that I think that would have been really beneficial for me to be able to reach out to someone and be like you know what I'm going through and like can we talk about it so that's a really wonderful wonderful resource and I think also we kind of diminish the importance of just like peer-to-peer contacts and you know when we talk about mental health we go straight to like you should go to therapy and I think that everyone should go to therapy but at the same time like I'm aware that it's not accessible to a lot of people whether that be from like the sheer volume of students in colleges who need therapy or um, if that comes from like a financial aspect since it can be expensive so I think it's great like what you were saying having the option to contact an author and just like having someone you know who is similar who has a similar experience to you yeah and I think that so much of it like for people sometimes the first reading a letter is just what they need to even realize that they are struggling with something I Mm -hmm. think we can really repress things or like try to convince ourselves that things are normal Mm -hmm. um so for me like when I was struggling with my eating disorder there were so many things that I convinced myself I was like oh everyone feels this way Mm. like everyone gets this stressed out about food and eating and going to restaurants and eating in front of other people and it wasn't until I talked to other people who had eating disorders and they were like oh no that's like actually a symptom of an Mm -hmm. eating disorder that I was like oh maybe this is really not normal Mm -hmm. and maybe maybe I am sick maybe Mm -hmm. I am struggling with something and so Mm -hmm. I think that also um, that connection right that being open to talking about things can help people realize that these things that are really difficult for us and make our lives really hard and stressful and uncomfortable maybe aren't as normal as we've made them out to be in our heads. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really helpful first step too. that first step of like realizing, oh, maybe I need help, I think is something that's also facilitated Mm -hmm. by that peer to peer connection. Yeah, definitely. You just like perfectly summarized what psychoeducation is. That's what my DMP is on. And the fact that learning about mental illnesses leads to greater success in treatment because once like if you learn about like anxiety in like an academic setting you can be like wait I really resonate with some of these symptoms and that could lead you to get help and then once you know like what you're dealing with it makes it less scary and you know I'm not saying like everyone should go and diagnose themselves but at the same time like we were talking about like sometimes we're struggling with things that we don't even realize that we're struggling with Um, so we'll get more into your eating disorder recovery later because that's what you wrote your if you're reading this letter about Um, but before we get into that what motivated you to get involved with if you're reading this yeah so I had a really really hard first year Um, I've struggled with my mental health since I was pretty young Um, but coming to UVA big changes are hard for me that's just something that I know with like my depression my anxiety coming to UVA was so much harder than I ever could have anticipated 
and I felt really alone. I felt like no one else was struggling Mm. with the same things that I was. It seemed like everyone had it together. Felt like everyone was having a really easy time making friends and meeting new people and finding their place here. And I just felt like such a fish out of water. Like I felt like I was floundering and I was really, really depressed. And it got to the point where I really wasn't seeing a future for myself. Mm. And around this point, my mom actually found, if you're reading this through the Parents Network on Facebook, and someone had posted it in there as a resource, and she sent it to me, I was like, I think that this will help. I think that a lot of other people are feeling the way that you're feeling, Mm. and they just aren't talking about it, but here's a resource where people are talking about it. And so that was my first time seeing the website, interacting with it. It just completely like blew my mind it was like all of this affirmation that I've been looking for it finally made it seem like okay like I can see a future for myself not just as a person but like also at UVA Mm -hmm. because I didn't feel like I knew of anyone who was having similar feelings and experiences to me here I felt so isolated Mm -hmm. and if you're reading this looking at it for the first time my first year really opened up this world to me that like okay like there's so many other people who feel these same things that I did Mm -hmm. so after my first year went home that summer really worked a lot with my therapist trying to sort of like put a plan in action figure out how how I was going to get better come back for my second year really try to hit the ground running um, and sort of like transform I guess my college experience Mm -hmm. I decided I was gonna stay at UVA I wasn't gonna transfer yeah and I just wanted to start to get involved in more things that I was excited about and start trying to put myself out there more, really try to like get out of my shell a little bit because I'd sort of put a lot of walls up when I was struggling with this really deep depression. I was in my first year. Mm -hmm. And so one of those things was I wanted to get involved. And if you're reading this on the other end of it, I wanted to be able to be a part of it. Um, this organization that really changed my life. I wanted to be able to like facilitate putting these stories out there. Mm. Um, So I joined as the marketing chair my second year, um, running the Instagram, running the Facebook, doing all that stuff, Mm -hmm. which was really meaningful to me because I really felt like I had a direct connection between these letters and our audience. Um, And it's been so fun for me getting to see it grow. Um, When I first got the Instagram, we followed more people than followed us. It was mm-hmm. a little bit <laughs> bad. Yeah. Um, but now it's fun to like have such a large audience and really mm-hmm. feel like we're really ingrained in the UVA community. It's just been such a staple of my UVA career. It's been the most meaningful thing I've been involved in mm-hmm. while I've been here. Yeah. Thank you for sharing. And that's like, if you're reading this, is such a great organization and something that you were talking about earlier. Like feeling that everyone at UVA had it together um, is really similar to something that we talked about in Ned Flanagan's episode of something called duck syndrome. I didn't know it had a name, but apparently it is called duck syndrome where basically like people are ducks at UVA, like from the surface, everyone's just floating around and underneath you can't see how hard everyone's feet are paddling. And I think if you're reading, this does a really good job of, you know, showing how hard everyone is paddling at UVA and how hard everyone is working at UVA to like fit in and like maintain positive mental health and like maintain grades and stuff and you know it's not just like everything at UVA comes easy to the people I mean it might come easy to some people who go here but for the majority of people like you do have to put in the work 
And I think it's really comforting to know that there are other people struggling. Um, and your story about your first year, I feel like is really similar to what I went through my first year of just feeling like I was the only one who was like not adjusting well to UVA. I also almost transferred out of UVA because I was like, I hate it here. I don't have any friends. (laughs) Um, but like you, I found groups that I really was passionate about and like, you know, you build a support network over time to anyone listening to this who feels like UVA isn't the place for them. I would like really encourage that you do like step out of your comfort zone and like seek out groups and stuff to join. And there is a community for you at UVA. What I always say is really try to sort of take some of that pressure off of yourself. Yeah. Yeah. We're told that college is going to be the best four years of our lives when we're in high school constantly that idea is reinforced and then you get here and it kind of sucks for a little bit yeah and then everyone all your friends at other schools are like posting pictures on social media with their new best friend groups and you're mm-hmm. like holy shit like, <laughs> i do not does everyone have friends like, like i do I? not have it together yeah um and i think it's like as cynical as it sounds like first half like kind of everyone's bullshitting like i was posting pictures and people were like, oh, my God, you seem so happy. And I would come home and just, like, sob because yeah. I was like, I'm so lonely. Mm-hmm. I'm so sad. I'm having such a hard time. So I think it's, like, also we need to stop putting so much pressure on ourselves to have, like, that perfect college experience every single day that we're here. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're a first year and it's taking you a little bit of time to, like, find your right friend group, that is perfectly normal. People just don't talk about it a lot because it's a lot easier mm-hmm. to make our lives look perfect on social mm-hmm. media than it is to be like, no, actually, I didn't have like my like I didn't have my support system yet during mm-hmm. my first year. Yeah, definitely. And I hope for everyone listening that they have a wonderful college experience, but I also hope that it's not the best four years of your life because if you think of it, we're 21 like and if this the these past like four years have been the best part of my life I have a long life ahead of me (laughs) that is quote-unquote not the best parts of my life and so I think it's really important to recognize that you should make the most out of your college experience but like you're saying not put too much pressure on it and that's something that I've even had to remind myself this year like in my fourth year I'm definitely like way better adjusted to college life than I was my first year and I like it so much more but then I still have days where I'm like I get really bad FOMO and I'm like wow I like wish I would have done xyz or like maybe I like don't have enough friends or maybe I'm like not in enough clubs and stuff like even in my fourth year which you know like seems ridiculous but at the same time like I feel like you need to instead of trying to like get rid of those thoughts like just reframe them and I'm just trying to like reflect more on like what I've been enjoying the past four years but you know at the same time it's scary like knowing that we have a semester left of college and I'm like did I get to do everything that I wanted to do um so I don't know I think that's something important too to talk about like how even as a fourth year you know you don't have to have everything together and you know life isn't perfect it definitely is better though yeah no for sure I think it's also so hard as fourth years I have no idea what I'm doing after college I have absolutely no plan (laughs) um I have no (laughs) concrete idea at all I have some jobs I'm thinking of applying to Mm -hmm. I don't think I want to go to grad school next year Mm -hmm. I'm like so lost and I've been feeling really really down on myself about it because 
so many of my friends like have these really concrete paths ahead of them they have job offers and even if they're not like super excited about those job offers they have a next step that's available and right now I'm sort of just like stepping into the unknown Mm -hmm. but again I think there's so much pressure and we have so much time to mm-hmm. figure it out. And what we want to do is going to change. Yeah. So I'm trying to keep remember reminding myself of that mm-hmm. um, as well. I think I feel a lot closer to my first year self in a very different way. I'm so mm-hmm. different from her. But I also think I'm constantly reminding myself of the same things that I needed to hear back then. Yeah, exactly. And that kind of goes... Oh my gosh, I'm going to skip around in my questions. We're getting crazy. But <laughs> I think that goes what you were talking about just goes directly back to the quote from your letter I've always tried to think of my life with mental illness as a hike in the mountains some days I'm heading up and some days I'm heading down but each step I am or each day I'm consciously choosing to step forward and I think that's such a powerful quote because it would be really nice if we could give testimonials of our story with mental illness and be like and now I am free of anxiety and depression like I'm doing so well I wake up so happy to conquer the day because I've gone to therapy for x amount of years and when I made the first episode for the podcast I think that's kind of how I tried framing it of like this was my mental health journey but that is like behind me and now I want to help other people but the reality is you know your journey with mental health doesn't really ever have an end. It just evolves. And, you know, I definitely am in a much better place than I was my first year, but I still go to therapy. I still have really bad days. Like I saw my therapist twice in a span of four days last week. So (laughs) if that is any indication that I'm still struggling, like, and I think it's important to realize that and not get down on yourself by, you know, like realizing, oh my gosh, like I feel like I'm struggling with the same things I did first year. Like that's not something that's, like wrong with us that's just how life is yeah I think even for me I was involved in if you're reading this for so long but I was really putting off writing my letter because I was like okay I'm gonna wait until I'm cured like I'm gonna wait until I'm better yeah um I'm gonna wait until it isn't so hard anymore Mm -hmm. and I mean I eventually realized, which I think is part of the point, part of sort of the message of my letter was that like, that's likely not going to happen for me, Mm -hmm. right? Like I'm likely never going to hit a point where it's like, okay, like I'm better. Like I'm sure I'll have good periods and bad periods throughout my life. I'm sure there'll be days where it's easier to get out of bed in the morning than others. Mm -hmm. But there's not going to be a time where I'm like completely free from all of these things that I struggle with. Mm -hmm. And as soon as I started looking at it like that, it was a lot, it was really relieving because for so long I was like, Oh my God, like what am I doing wrong? I take my medication every day. I go to therapy every week. Mm. I do all these little skills that my therapist tries to teach me to. I do all the little activities to try to figure it out. I like practice breathing and I, do all this Mm -hmm. and I was like why am I not better I have a great group of friends like I feel like I'm doing everything right and then when I sort of let go of it and was like okay maybe better is relative like maybe Mm -hmm. better for me isn't like oh I never feel this way again maybe it's like I can live my life and function normally most of the time but I can also set boundaries with people Mm -hmm. and I get more comfortable advocating for myself and like building a world and a life where 
I can live with this mental illness and where it doesn't take away from my life as a human, but it also can exist and I can care for those parts of myself that are hurting Mm -hmm. and I can make that space to feel things that I've been so scared of feeling for Mm -hmm. so long. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And improving in your mental health is a choice that you have to make and I think it's hard because I felt the same way. I was like, okay, I need to go to therapy once a week and take my meds every day and that's how I get better. But then I realized like, no, there are things that I have to do like consciously like every day. Like when I have a like irrational thought, like I have to, you know, like for example, like write that down, like put it in a jar and then be like, okay, like now that's in the jar and I'll deal with that later. Like there are certain things that you have to do every day and like skills that you have to sharpen to, you know, like keep improving. Um, So I think that's a really important message. So just going into your mental health journey, in your letter for if you're reading this, you discuss your eating disorder and you say, I will still have to choose recovery every day. So now what does choosing recovery look like for you? Yeah, so choosing recovery for me looks like, honestly, a lot of the time it really looks like rejecting diet culture, which Mm -hmm. I think can be really hard at a school like UVA, Mm -hmm. where I feel like there is very much sort of this focus on how people look, um, especially within like different communities here. And I think it can be really hard. One of the things for me was going through eating disorder treatment when I was in quarantine. Um, So I went through eating disorder treatment, sorry, summer of 2020. So I was in it from May 2020 to September 2020. Mm -hmm. So I was home almost the entire time that I was in treatment, seeing pretty much only my family. So it was really easy for me to sort of like be only surrounded by people who had the same values, who were sort of changing to not talk about things related to diet culture, right? Not talking about people's bodies, not talking about counting calories, all those things. Like I really created this like safe little bubble within my home and it was really wonderful and made recovery a lot easier because I wasn't also battling this, these outsides like stimuli really at the the same rate, but then coming back into the real world and right being back um, at school now, it's been um, so long. I have to constantly remind myself, right? Like I can't, I'm not in the same space where um, I am asking my friends, like when I first got out of treatment, I asked my friends to stop, like not refer to foods as good and bad or yeah. healthy and unhealthy in front of me because I had created this binary of food in my head where food wasn't just food for me. It was either good foods or bad foods. It was like thinking about some certain like diet tracking apps it was like foods that are green or foods that are red yeah right foods that are healthy foods that are unhealthy and I couldn't get myself out of that that like everything that was bad or unhealthy or red seemed like a failure Mm -hmm. Um, and I couldn't just like treat food as something normal Mm -hmm. and so I really had to ask my friends like hey can you not use this language around me Mm -hmm. it'll make it a lot easier now right I'm uh, a year and a bit out I'm not really asking my friends for things like that anymore I'm trying to learn how to and my a lot most of my friends have the same values as me they don't speak about those things just generally because that's not important to them um, they are also against diet culture yeah but I think it's now like being in spaces where I'll hear classmates or people I'm not that close with like talking about things that 
could be really harmful could really like allow me to like tap into that eating disorder side of myself and being like okay I'm choosing to reject this like if I'm hearing someone talking about their diets or like you get things all the time like I scroll through TikTok and I see people's weight loss videos Mm -hmm. and trying to be like okay like that's that's great for them I'm sure they feel great they are a person before they're a person afterwards but not trying to like really think about it as like okay like maybe I should do that too maybe I think it's really hard to like try to disconnect yourself from this like diet culture that places Mm -hmm. so much worth on your body and also makes you think that like you aren't in a good place until you lose weight until Mm -hmm. you're like some at some ideal that's like pretty unattainable and Mm -hmm. so for me I think it's just constantly trying to reject those messages that stimuli getting more comfortable um being out in the world as it is Mm -hmm. having those tough conversations when I need to but also knowing that I can't change everyone's minds and I have to be okay with all of these things within myself and know that my worth is so much more than my body and also to know that I'm gonna have hard days with it like it's really hard it's really hard to be a college student in this day and age Mm -hmm. and to be trying to like actively reject something like diet culture that a lot of people are engaging in around me Mm -hmm. you know but just always trying to do my best with it I guess yeah definitely thank you for sharing that and I really loved how you were talking about basically like setting boundaries like with your friends like being like can you please not use this language around me and like with TikTok like I had to delete TikTok because well, I got on serial killer TikTok and that was freaking a terrifying place to be. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but also because like I would see all these what, in, what I eat in a day videos and they would eat like a pea and be like, oh my gosh, like see you guys for tomorrow. And I'm like, what are you gonna eat next? Like a carrot? Like what's happening here? And like seeing that content was really like triggering to see. And because then I would like compare myself and I'd be like, wow, I ate so much today. So I had to like delete that. And I feel like, you know, setting boundaries with your friends and being like, please like don't use this language and also like you can remove yourself from social media and I feel like that's something that I didn't even think about until I was talking to my therapist about it and she was like why don't you just delete TikTok and I was like wait why don't I just delete TikTok like that's how I can get away from these messages and I think another thing is like I like can't wait for the day that we like are able to fully break away from diet culture. I feel like we're kind of we're like getting there a little bit like we're getting closer to it. And I really struggled with body image and disordered eating, too. And like one thing that I feel like I really had to recognize is that if like how I look is the most impressive thing about me, like what does that say about who I am? Like, I don't want people just valuing me because, like, I'm a double zero or because, like, I'm skinny. Like, that's just such a, that's, like, just a sad thing to, like, have stand out to other people. And so, like, who we are as people, like, our personality, our character, how we treat other people, I feel like is so much more, not I feel like, I know is so much more important than what we look like. And, like, I can tell you right now, like, you're a beautiful person, like, on the outside, but I feel like that's not, like that like a bigger compliment is that like you're a beautiful person on the inside too like just talking to you for these 29 minutes that we've had so far like I can tell like you're really passionate about creating safe spaces at UVA and that's more impressive than any girl at UVA is (laughs) 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 (laugh
the, the sentiment is there like that's more impressive than any like victoria's secret model yeah tbh honest <laughs> yeah i think i remember seeing something one time on instagram that was like no one's gonna stand up at your funeral and be like oh my god she had such a flat stomach <laughs> like that's not what people are going to be talking about yeah. but we get so so caught up in it now yeah i think one of the things that i learned in treatment that i try to practice is like there's that concept in psychology right that the more you see something the more likely you are to be attracted to it or think that it's beautiful mm -hmm. um and so i think it's really hard because on social media and mainstream media we very rarely see a diverse um showing of bodies right mm -hmm. and even now like when we think about the like body positive movement there are still only some bodies that are seen as acceptable or beautiful within that movement right there's yeah. like a certain type of curvy model that mm -hmm. they'll show yeah but we're really not seeing like a really diverse um showing of bodies and so i tried to find like instagram influencers and people who had like the exact same body type as mine yeah follow them starting to see bodies that looked like yeah. mine like all the time um and that's been really helpful and just like constantly seeing it being like, being like okay like that person i think that person's beautiful why am i so caught up sort of in the way that i look um and i think obviously i know that like the way that i look isn't the end of the world but um or like it's not the most important thing at all but i also think that that's helpful in terms of just like finding someone finding other people who look like you mm -hmm. um and just starting to expose yourself to it more because i think it's so hard with social media I think that there's ways that we can really use social media for good. I think this is one of those ways, like yeah. trying to find people who have similar body types yeah, um, and not emulating your life after theirs, but like exposing yourself to more diverse bodies, seeking that out. And I also think, again, like with if you're reading this, we use social media to engage in this positive storytelling. So there's this like flip side to it, right? Like on one hand there's people who are putting out content that is so harmful so dangerous those like what i eat in a day videos yeah. um posting like such harmful diet content eat, like really eating disorder content yeah to be quite honest and then you have people who are being their authentic selves and loving everything about themselves being comfortable in their bodies and that's also been really helpful for a lot of people as well so I think there's like both sides of this coin mm -hmm. um, and I think the final step of it all is moving past it and realizing that none of it actually matters all that much yeah but I do think that there is some comfort these days in yeah again just like seeing bodies that seeing yourself represented mm -hmm. in um, media seeing bodies that look like yours yeah exactly and that goes back to boundaries and the idea of like you control you can control the content you see on social media like you can't control who may sit behind you in class and talk about how they were just at the gym for two hours and then they're going to get a salad after class but like you can't control like these random interactions and like snippets you hear from people but you can control like what you see on social media and like the people that you like spend the most time with and like the language you use around your friends and I think that's something important to remember and that also goes back to you know choosing recovery every day and like choosing to actively 
you know, work to surround yourself with a positive and healthy environment. So you mentioned that you spent quarantine in virtual eating disorder treatment earlier. So how did you gather the courage to like actively seek out professional help? Because I think a lot of people like may recognize that they need help, but then getting that help is really scary. Yeah. So it was pretty difficult because so I had an eating disorder when I was younger, when I was like 13 years old. Um, I had bulimia and my eating disorder was pretty easy to identify because I was going through those like pretty classic binging and purging behaviors Mm -hmm. that you're sort of warned about in like middle school PSAs or (laughs) whatever. Like I I knew that what I was doing was an eating disorder. Mm -hmm. But when by the time I got to college, I had sort of dropped those those habits, but I still had this really deep fear of food and eating where I would go on these crazy diets where I would either be eating almost nothing um, and then I would not be able to maintain it and then I would eat like whatever I wanted and go to the other end of the spectrum. So I was constantly just like taking it to both extremes and I was so scared of the way that I looked and food that like it I stopped going out with people as much because Mm. I didn't like the way that I looked in clothes I didn't like the way that I looked in photos I was really like it was impacting my whole life and like every two weeks at least I would call my mom just like sobbing being like I I don't deserve love I am like like I'm this horrible ugly human being Mm. and I said to my mom one time when I was home during my second year I was like if I have to live in this body then I don't want to live at all Mm. and my mom was like whoa whoa um and I think that was sort of when I realized that it was like really bad yeah and that maybe I even though I didn't have like traditional symptoms that I like recognized as an eating disorder that there was something deeper going on in relation to my body and food and eating. And maybe I wasn't ready to call it an eating disorder yet, but I realized that it was a problem. Mm -hmm. And my mom called me up. I had plans to go study abroad that summer, which would have been canceled anyways because Mm -hmm. of COVID. But my mom called me and was like, I think we've been chasing our tail for, like, I think we've been chasing our tail for a lot of years. I think that we keep sort of trying to put a band-aid over like a really big wound sort of like Mm -hmm. we can't just pretend that like you you're gonna go on a diet and you're gonna lose weight and then like you'll be happy and this will all be over Mm -hmm. like we need to really think about how we're going to approach this and she was like I think that you should spend the summer at home and you should go do some sort of eating disorder treatment whether Mm. that's at home or whether that's somewhere else whether it was like inpatient or outpatient we Mm -hmm. didn't really know yet and I was like okay like let me think about it because I was very much on this path of like as a college student I have to be doing something every single summer like I'd had an internship the past two summers before that um I was like I have to always be doing something and my mom was like I think that you've been running like you've been going at like too fast of a speed my therapist used to say that I was always running on a treadmill that was speed 12 Mm. and the fastest my legs could go was like speed 10 Mm -hmm. so I was always sort of like really pushing myself too far yeah um to try to like keep up with everything that I was doing Mm -hmm. and so my mom was like I think 
I think you need to take this time for yourself or it's like never going to get any better. And I was like, okay, okay, like we'll sort of, we'll deal with it later. And I resolved that I was going to do it when the end of the year came. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't put much work into it at all. And then like three weeks after this conversation, COVID happened mm-hmm. and I went home. All of a sudden I was under the watchful eye of my parents. Yeah. And they really, my mom was really great. She like found the place. She called them. She was like, here's like, here it is. It's like right in front of you. Mm-hmm. Like I've. I've made it easy. I've like yeah. sort of brought it here. And I was like, okay, like we'll do it. And I thought it would be, yeah. I thought I would be in it for like a month. Maybe I was there for, I did it for like three and a half, four months mm-hmm. for a really long time. Um, a lot longer, I guess, than I expected at the start. Cause I was mm-hmm. like, I'm fine. Like, I don't even know if this is an eating disorder. Like I remember at the start, I was always like, I don't even like think that this is like that big of a deal. Like, I was like, everyone, like, feels this way. I'm not really that sick. I remember feeling it kind of guilty because I was like, oh, these are people who've, like, been hospitalized, like, who, like, have been, like, hospitalized recently Mm -hmm. or things like that. And I was like, and I, I'm not, like, that's not what I'm like. Like, I'm fine. And then I was there for so long and I was like, okay, like, maybe, maybe I actually had a lot of stuff I needed to work through. Yeah. Um, Maybe I actually... Just because my eating problems and things look different and my body looked different from someone who you might typically assume has an eating disorder. I think that was a really big barrier for me. Mm. Um, and I think I never really felt valid in the fact that I was struggling. But I think it was really my mom that saw that I needed help and talked to me about it, which I'm sure was really scary because I could get quite abrasive during conversations like this Mm -hmm. um and so she really made it happen Mm -hmm. which I think when someone who's so close to you like really pulls you aside and is like you really need help and like Mm -hmm. I'm worried I think that is like pretty hard to ignore at least for me um and because I I really value my relationship with my mom especially Mm -hmm. um, my whole family but I'm especially close to my mom so I think that was really a um a wake up call for me mm-hmm. yeah first of all i'm so sorry that you felt that way about your body and you know like what you said about not feeling like what you were struggling with was valid and like it was like hard to see yourself you know and like the other people you're in treatment with i feel like is something that is really that's really hard to struggle with but it may be common in like a lot of students who like don't have experience with mental health treatment and just like I feel like something we can do at the beginning of our journey is like downplay our struggles and being like, okay, well, at least I'm like not like this person. But, you know, at the end of the day, if you're struggling with something, then you deserve to seek out help. Like you deserve that for yourself. Um, And the second thing is shout out to your mom. Like your mom seems like an amazing person. And I feel like it's so important that we're educated about mental illness and wellness so that we're able to help those around us who may not be as informed and I think it's so important to have someone who's close to you like your mom like someone who loves you so much I think it's so important to have her in your corner and to have her support you and like it probably was really scary to bring that up to you because it would be scary to bring up to anyone I think a lot of times 
like if we see someone struggling we don't want to bring it up because we don't want to offend them um and you know I don't know like we don't want to like sound like we are like passing judgment or anything and you know a lot of times like if you do approach someone you love being like I'm concerned about you because of this like the conversation can go poorly because you know people don't like feeling targeted or whatever but at the same time like there's that feeling of like knowing that the person who's coming to you is right and being like oh shoot like now I have to like go extra hard so they don't really see that you know they're right or trying to like prove to yourself even that you don't need help but I think it's so important that as people who are trying to create a more safe environment and destigmatize mental illness that we're able to you know in a gentle and like respectful way like call out friends who may need like that extra push to seek help and so I think that's like to anyone listening to this like a great piece of advice of like you see if you have a friend who's struggling like don't be afraid to reach out and have that conversation with there are like plenty of resources online about like how to like talk about like xyz with people which I think is really great both my parents have been so hugely supportive and that has made all the difference and it's hard I feel like for our parents to um recognize the importance of mental health because that's not something that was you know normalized during their time so I think it's really impressive that both of your parents were able to you know help you seek treatment and if there are any parents who are listening to this it's so important just to validate what your child is going through like I know for me personally like it feels you you feel so seen when someone is like I understand that you're struggling and I want to help you as opposed to being like oh it's fine like you're just go like everyone goes through this or like it's just like hormonal or it's just because like you're stressed like everyone's stressed like invalidating someone's concerns has such a negative effect on mental health and that can create like this loop of kind of like gaslighting yourself because you get these messages from people you trust and love that are like no you're not struggling and so then you then turn that on yourself so I think it's really important that we're all informed about mental health and you know just validating and affirming the people close to us okay so my final question is how can people get involved with if you're reading this yes that's a great question so I think a really common myth about if you're reading this is people who are like oh how do I like apply to write a letter or Like, how do I, do you have to ask me? Like, what's the deal? We just take letters at any given time. You go on our website, you submit them through there. We are always looking for new voices to write. We have an editor on the team who will edit your letter, make sure that all the content is, I'm looking for the right word. I was going to say appropriate, but basically like trying to make sure that the content won't trigger someone. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So for example, like we... Sometimes um, in letters with eating disorders, people will include numbers to try to explain sort of how sick they are, Mm -hmm. which is like a measure um, that can be really um, triggering for some people. And so we try to like remove content like that to keep the message the same, Mm -hmm. but try to make sure that it is getting that message across in the best way possible. Mm -hmm. And then you take a photo with our incredible photographer Jess Pentel the photos are always so good (laughs) yeah she is so so talented um I cannot plug her enough just also um but if you do if you're reading this if you write a letter you get your headshot for free rather than um 
paying for a headshot. So I always use that as a little plug. I feel yeah. like that's a great way to get people. Mm-hmm. Um, but we say the letters are like a page in length. Um, start with if you're reading this. My advice to my friends, if they're thinking about writing one and don't know where to start, is I always say, what did your younger self need to hear? Mm. Um, and that can be your younger self at any point. I think you'll know what that is. But that was sort of where I started when I was writing mine. Is I was like, what did I need? What did me three years ago? What did me two years ago? What did me a year ago? What did I need to know? What do I wish I could go back and tell myself um, that would have sort of relieved some of the pain that I was feeling? And so Mm -hmm. I think that that's sort of the advice I always give is a great place to start. But reach out to us. Um, If you have questions, feel free to contact us through our website, through Instagram. We are always looking for people to write letters for new stories to share. Mm -hmm. I think the best, the way that we are the most helpful resource is if people can, if anyone who goes to UVA can look at our website and see a letter that they feel that they can connect to. And that Mm -hmm. only happens when we have a really um, broad diversity of stories that are shared. So if, Everyone has a story. Everyone goes through things. Um, Your story matters. Your story is valid. And so definitely reach out if you're interested or just submit it through our website. It's really that easy. Yeah, definitely. Again, if you're reading, this is a great group. They have some wonderful stories. I'll link the, if you're reading this, website and um, Instagram link in the episode information and on the BYOB social media. Um, But thank you so much, Betsy, for taking the time to talk to me. I have enjoyed every second of it, and I really love, like, what, if you're reading this and you are doing for UVA. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad. Um, Okay, so if you guys are still listening, make sure to BYOB next week. Bye.